Okay. Are we ready? Yeah. Welcome to Pop to the Lou, where we share hilarious, embarrassing, heartbreaking, and inspiring stories of life with IBD. We will hopefully make you laugh, cry, and probably speechless, like Sarah is most of the time when I'm telling my stories. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode three of Pop to the Lou. Hope you enjoyed episode two, getting to know me, Cass, a little better and understanding my journey with Crohn's disease. In episode three, we're going to talk to Sarah and learn more about her journey with ulcerative colitis. Should we do our mental health and gut check-in? How are you doing, Sarah? Yeah. I have a problem where I take on too much. For a moment, for a very brief moment, I was like, oh, my course will be on a break for four weeks and I can just breathe for like a minute. However, that did not last long. The course doesn't even end until Tuesday night. And then I've already made some possible arrangements to be working on another project. So yep, (laughs) this is on top of obviously my work and the podcast. So So you're trying to tell us something, Sarah? (laughs) My name is Sarah and I'm a workaholic. <laughs> exactly what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, I, it sounds like I'm not going to have any downtime at all. Ever. Which we don't but recommend okay. to everyone out there. <laughs> it's completely against everything I always advise everyone. <laughs> yeah. I am not, I am not the role model for what you should do in life, but it's something I'm excited about. And it's really hard to turn down a project that is working with people that I really want to spend more time around and can learn a lot from. So it, it will be good for me, I think. I and then, that. yeah. And then my stomach, I am just really dedicating myself to eating as boring as possible um, for quite a while. Cause I just think I just need to, after all the stress that I've had recently, I need to get control of my symptoms before they get out of hand. How are you feeling? I think I'm probably the same as you. I probably need to just calm down with my projects. I've got so much going on in addition to my full-time job. I I work in healthcare. The problem is, it's like you said, when it's projects you love to do, it's really hard not to do them and you don't feel like you're working. So like the podcast is one and I do coaching as well, which I really love. So it's really difficult to not do things you really enjoy doing. And actually, I think they're really important for your well-being because... I think they're really good for distraction and I think they're really good for fulfillment. So it's, it's a hard balance, isn't it? So I think what I really need to do is I haven't been exercising like usual. So I've been doing like my yoga in the mornings, but usually I love to run. Usually I love to do weights. Um, I usually do a lot of exercise and I try and, you know, exercise for about an hour a day when I'm on, on a bit of a roll. And I haven't done that for ages now um, because I've just been doing so much other stuff. So I think I just need to get a bit more prepared, a bit more organized, you know, and, um, and make sure that I'm, I'm fitting in exercise because I know that will always I, I can always feel that within my mind when I'm not exercising. And I've been a bit slack with my kind of wholesome nutrition and things like that. So my, my mental health and gut health is fine as such, but I just know I can make some improvements to make myself as resilient as possible. And for me, it's a very stressful time coming up with work. It always is during winter months. Working in healthcare, obviously, it's super, super busy. 
and um yeah the, the these these months um are always really really testing really really difficult so i need to make sure that i am feeling as, as resilient as possible um so i really need to nail down with my nutrition and fitness so that's where I, i'm at this week okay so sarah we're going to get in some questions and we're basically going to mirror the kind of episode we did last week with myself so what kind of symptoms did you have before you were first diagnosed I guess I've always had stomach issues of some sort since I was a child. I had stomach pain or like just wasn't feeling well. I never had anything that they could really give a diagnosis to. And then I was 25 and I started seeing blood when I went to the washroom and it's funny, well, not funny, but at the time I was so freaked out. Cause I was like, Oh my God, like what is happening to me? And like, I thought, well, any blood seems like a lot of blood. My God, if I could, if I could have gone back a few months later, <laughs> but like it just started off quite all this blood. <laughs> it started off quite small and I didn't really know what it was. And I went to the doctor and they were like, Oh, it's not really that much. Like see what happens. And then the main thing for me was the bleeding. And then the pain started, but I, those were pretty much the main two side effects. And then from those, obviously other side effects came along over time, but initially that's, that was like January and I was diagnosed in September. So it happened relatively quickly in terms of my diagnosis. And when you say pain, so I always find this really interesting. So I've obviously said in my episode, like the pain we, we have, um, you, you just can't describe it unless you've you experience it it's you just can't describe you can't breathe it's so painful and I've always been really frustrated with my girlfriends that are like is it like period pain and I'm like no how would you describe your pain that you experienced so it definitely varies depending on if I'm a flare or if I'm just normal day-to-day pain like I had some pain this week that I just took a paracetamol for and I was okay whereas other times I have been on morphine drips and oxy drips yeah. oxycotton so I do actually have oxycotton here um like with pills mm-hmm. if it gets that extreme so that I have like I'm safe but remember being in the emergency room and like having, you know, they put you in triage and you like sit and talk to the nurse before they decide what to do with you. Like, I just could not even sit up to look at her because I was in so much pain. Mm. It was ridiculous. And then I'd like go away for a minute and I could like function. It would just completely go away for like a minute and then it would hit me again. So I've had a wide, wide range of pain just kind of depending on what my body's feeling at the moment. Cause the, yeah, the, the, the pain is just insane. So with regards to so kind of prior to diagnosis we know your symptoms so what were the kind of tests and investigations that they did sir it was just a colonoscopy and biopsies and then funny enough they came back to me and were like oh we didn't find anything like you're fine and I was like I can't I can't be fine (laughs) like seriously (laughs) it doesn't make sense and then the hospital called like a week or so later and they're like just kidding you have ulcerative colitis Thanks. What a joke. Am um, I being filmed? <laughs> yeah. Right. And the thing is my mom had actually done some research. I was just avoiding it. I didn't want to look into different things or like Google anything. So I just wanted it to go away. So, yeah. but she had done some research and was like, I think you have ulcerative colitis. And I was like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm fine. I wasn't too impressed when she was right because I didn't want anything that was going to be with me for life. Mm. I wanted it to be like, 
literally anything else, <laughs> anything that would go away, I would be happy with, but obviously I didn't get my way on that one. And that was the next question I was going to ask you. How did you feel at diagnosis? But you've kind of answered that. Did, was it yeah, kind I of traumatic? I think it was disbelief or denial is probably the best mm. word for it in terms of it. I was like, no, they're wrong. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I don't know whether sometimes it's easier having something from a kid, kid's age, because I don't know. I think when you're a child, I, 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 I don't know the kind of science and the psychology around it, but I guess you're told you have something, you don't process it like an adult would as such. Um, and I guess you just, you, it, it's, it's part of your life, isn't it? It's ingrained in your life um, from a very early age. So I, I, I can imagine, I, I don't know if I would have dealt with a diagnosis any like differently compared to what I dealt with and had that reaction to as a child. It's really weird, isn't it? To know what is easier. I don't, I don't know. I think it was especially hard because I had just moved to London the year before. So, and I had just actually gotten, I think I got my sponsorship in June mm-hmm. and then I got my diagnosis in September, like a couple months later. And it was obviously getting a job in London, <laughs> let alone getting sponsorship with no, like I was just starting my career. So to get sponsored in the very beginning of your career is quite rare and it's a process. Mm. So having just got that and then being told that you have an incurable disease that you're now going to have to deal with alone living in a country that you are quite new to it was a lot and it wasn't it was just felt really unfair because it felt like things were coming together and then this nightmare just seeped in um to destroy everything and did when you had your diagnosis there because I'm conscious your diagnosis was more recent than mine I'm not slating anyone at all but I don't think I got a lot of information about my illness when I got diagnosed. My mum certainly didn't. There was no support. There was no kind of information on anything else you could do to treat the disease. So it literally was meds op, meds op. That was the only two avenues you could take. I didn't speak to a dietitian. I didn't speak to anyone about any other kind of holistic ways you could treat Crohn's disease. We were just kind of diagnosed given you'd come and have monthly blood tests and blah, 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 blah. And you probably need an operation in a couple of years time. That was literally the information we were given, um, you know, alongside the anti-inflammatories and steroids medication. Um, so we were fortunate that I kind of just went off and did my own research. Did you feel like you were supported when you were diagnosed at all and no. given any information on nutrition or any other ways of managing your sorry ulcerative colitis apart from the medical route or operation no so the operation wasn't brought to me until I got quite sick just take these pills they'll be fine is pretty much what I got I think at one point I was up to like 12 pills a day and I guess I started playing with my diet to try and see like what was working what wasn't but yeah I was just kind of left on my own to like I think the doctors honestly thought at that point because I wasn't I forget what stage I was at, but obviously there's the different stages of it, of the flare. I wasn't very far along. So they thought that the medication would work and it didn't. And you've, I know, um, the kind of viewers way, but you've been on a lot of different medications. Do you want to kind of touch on that? Because you've had some pretty hefty 
medications there? Yeah. I can't remember every medication that I've been on, but it definitely started with just pills and then it was suppositories and then it was, um, like enemas. And then through that time, my iron was dropping quite a bit. I got quite anemic. So I probably had God knows how many iron infusions and it got to the point that I was losing far too much blood. I had to get a blood transfusion. They actually, I needed two over the, like in separate times. I turned down the second one. Um, I'm so stubborn looking back. I honestly don't know. I don't know how I'm here. Worst patient. Uh, we both were. <laughs> yeah. But even the first one, it was like signing your life away. It was really scary. And I hate anything medical. I hate needles so much. I have the worst veins, like the worst veins. So, and then having to look at this bag of blood, be, oh, I'm such a germaphobe too. Like, yeah. Anyways, that was horrible. That was probably the worst of all the medications. <laughs> um, it was having to get the blood transfusion because it freaked me out so much. Obviously it saved my life and I'm grateful, but um, yeah, never want to have to do that again. Knock on wood. And then it got to the point that I was so sick and I was so done with the medical teams that I was working with in the UK. Um, and this whole time I kept saying a lot of people were like, just go home, like be with your family, get taken care of. We can obviously tell that you're getting quite sick because I would, I would be at work in the office and I would just disappear to the washroom for ages. And I wasn't going to the washroom. I was curled over in pain. Like I just could not stand up. I remember being there and like sitting on the windowsill curled over in a ball, just holding my stomach being like, pull it together. You have to get through this day. Just mm. pull it together. It was horrible. Absolutely horrible. And like people would tell me, just go home. And I didn't want to give up. I refused to give in to this disease that I didn't want. And then it got to the point that I was in so much pain and I'd been like admitted to the hospital quite a few times. So this is during the period of pretty much from September to the following June that all of this extreme um, flare occurred. And yeah, I was just like, give me some kind of drugs. I just need something strong enough to get on a plane and go home to Canada. And the doctors were like, you're, you're not leaving the hospital. Like if you get on a plane back to Canada, you're going to die because you are losing so much blood right now. And you're just in no shape to fly. And then I actually ended up convincing. <laughs> so I went to the hospital, not like expecting to be admitted. Obviously I was just in so much pain. I'm like, I can't function. Like give me some kind of drug. And I let them convince or convince them to let me go home just to like get some stuff. Cause I'm like, shit, yeah. if I'm going to be in the hospital for weeks, like I didn't have like my phone charger or anything on me. So they did let me go home and take a taxi home really quick. But I remember even trying to like, I live in a like ground floor flat in Notting mm -hmm. Hill. So I had to go down like a couple of stairs to get to my place and just walking from the taxi, like on the street through my front gate down to my front door. Like I was so out of breath. I could barely breathe because I was so anemic and just so sick and so weak. Yeah. It's, I'm not going to lie. It's quite traumatizing to mm. speak about. Um, still, I don't think, I think in the moment or I know in the moment I had set an alarm on my phone that would go off every morning. And it was like, you can do this one day at a time because I just knew I had to make it through the next 24 hours. The idea of yeah. thinking to the end of the week was way too overwhelming. I'm like, just focus on staying alive for the next 24 hours, making it through, getting through your day and then take on the next day. So yeah, I went home, picked up a couple of things, went back to the hospital. 
then I called my mom and my mom got on the next flight over because they wouldn't let me leave. And it was quite, it was quite scary. Um, and then <laughs> it's like a never ending story. Um, and they were like, we'll just, we'll put you on IV steroids. I had finished oral steroids by this point. I think I was on oral steroids for like eight weeks, did nothing other than make my face really round and like all the symptoms that come along. They with make, steroids. There's so many side effects of them, isn't there? Oh, it's, it's horrible. So undesirable. And then they were like, we'll just put you on IV steroids 24 hours. You'll be better. <laughs> I was not better. They kept me on them. I think like six or seven days and at some point they were like, oh, okay, maybe this isn't working. <laughs> Let's try something else. And then they decided to put me on biotherapy and thank God that got, that started to work and got it under control a bit. Um, and then they needed to wean me off of the steroids and get that out of my system before they could start like this type of chemotherapy. Um, cause they were worried that I guess if your body adjusts to sure. the one or if it adjusts yeah. to the, um, biotherapy, then it'll stop working. So the chemo is to wipe out my immune system as well. So yeah. And then I stayed on chemotherapy. I'm conscious. This is like a lot. Um, I was on chemotherapy for a few months and I hated it. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible because that I started feeling so nauseous all the time and my hair started falling out, which is just such a sensitive thing for me, especially because my hair is like part of my identity. I've always had long hair. So that was really difficult. And so I went back to my doctor. I was like, I can't do this. Like I, I need to be able to have a life. Like it's one thing to have to be stuck with this bloody disease, but I can't be at home 24 seven for the rest of my life. Cause at this point they wanted me to be on both for two years. And like, that just felt so overwhelming. Oh my goodness. Um, so he agreed to let me come off of the chemo oral pills and just stay on the biotherapy treatments. Every few weeks, I'd go back to the hospital, get an infusion. The nurses hated me because my veins were so bloody terrible. <laughs> it was a huge ordeal every time. Nightmares um, walking in. <laughs> yeah. But it gave me, it gave me a bit of my life back. I, I remember taking work calls whilst getting my infusions and I started to get a bit more stable. And then wasn't even long. And I started noticing blood again. It was probably the following, oh gosh, I should have dates here, but like about four months later, five months later, after, um, coming off the chemo and I started noticing blood and I went back to my doctor and he wasn't impressed with me. And he said, fine, we'll do another like scope, but you might have to accept that it might be in your head. And I'm like, <gasps> I can't fake this. Such a it's horrible blood. thing to say to someone as well. Yeah, that was frustrating. And at that point I was like, okay, I need to find another option because I need to be able to have a life and I need to, I need to sort this out. So I ended up finding a doctor that practiced Chinese medicine and went to him and then that got me stable. But then my uh, gastro doctor was not impressed with that. <laughs> Obviously I had to disclose to him that I was taking alternative medicines as well. And he pretty much told me I was going to get like liver kidney failure if I kept taking the Chinese medicine and that it was so bad for me and gave me this long lecture. And I'm like, weren't you the doctor that was just pumping me like with other chemicals? <laughs> like, come on. 
I'm pretty sure I've signed my life away so many times at this point, but yeah, he was not happy that I kept taking the Chinese medicine, but it worked and it got me stable for a bit. So eventually the, in the, sorry, um, biotherapy stopped working altogether. My body just adjusted to it after a few years. And I now at this point, there was another uh, biotherapy they wanted to put me on and it just had so many side effects and my mom was not having it. She's like, no, <laughs> maybe I should be more adult uh, at this point in terms of wanting to read this stuff, but I find it so depressing. So I just kind of let her do the research into <laughs> the drugs sometimes. And yeah, now if I do start to get sick, I will go back to my Chinese medicine because it gets me stable quite quickly, to be fair. If I um, they are really good at shipping it to me wherever I am in the world because the doctor is based in the UK, but he's shipped it to Australia for me. He's shipped it to Canada. And yeah, that usually gets it under control. It does have side effects as well, but it helps me at least. And you've that touched on two really important um, topics as well, Sarah. So one, we know when we have certain medications prescribed, they can have really undesirable side effects and they then can impact other physical health or psychological health concerns and that's really important for everyone to be aware of as well isn't it like you were saying with the chemotherapy you lost your hair and for for anyone that hasn't seen Sarah yet her hair is just absolutely beautiful you know and that's a really difficult thing to lose um so it's really hard when you're when you're going down the medical route because you're you're not only dealing with a really serious IBD and taking these medications you're then dealing with the side effects of these medications which then can impact other health conditions so it's it's like overall it's really really hard and then the other okay. thing that you that you kind of touched on was that eastern versus western medical uh, treatment plan again and as we know they often conflict and they often don't like one another so it's really difficult if you're trying to research and test out what works for you and I know the the Chinese medicine that you um, utilize when you're having a flare-up really works for you with minimal side effects compared to the other medications you've tried so for you that works really well but obviously when you've discussed that with your clinician they've been really quite pissed off about it that you've gone that oh, route completely. Yeah. Um, so I think when we're going through these these flare-ups and even when you're newly diagnosed and you don't really know what any of these medications are or what other, you know, alternative routes you can take are, you're, you're kind of, you just don't know where to start. And it's, and it's really, really important for everyone to know, like, keep talking about your mental health, keep talking about those other side effects you're experiencing because they are, they, they take over and they, you know, like I said, in the last episode, I had to come off my steroids because of, because of the, it, they just made me really aggressive as a child. So it's, it's just you know, being aware of what's happening to you if you, if you are eating certain things or taking certain meds. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the steroids, I wasn't, I wasn't eating, like it was purely fluid because you yeah. just retain everything. I mean, I was, I was such, I'm such a spoiled brat. Um, <laughs> whilst I was in the hospital when I was hungry because I, hospital food's horrible. I just remember even the doctors were jealous because my mom would go out to um, like the little restaurants on the high street Kensington and pick me up food or like go to Whole Foods and get me my favorite things. So yeah, but I wasn't eating a lot by any means. She'd get me like avocado on toast and stuff. Oh, nice. If I That's a luxury it. when you're in a hospital. <laughs> Oh yeah. Seriously. The doctors would come around and be like, where's our breakfast? Yeah. We've just got NHS um, toast. Yeah. 
Oh, so it's a little spoiled, but yeah, definitely it, it did impact me more. So the weight gain at that point was not being able to move. Like I was already so weak and then putting on like so much weight, my clothing, cause I had pajamas there. couldn't fit into those. Mom ended up going out and buying me more pajamas, like three sizes bigger. And then, yeah, I mean, I lost it over time. Um, but my face swelled and like, I just, I didn't look like myself and steroids are horrible and you can't sleep while you're on them. I don't feel like I had anger. I was too exhausted to be angry, but I definitely could not sleep. I just felt out of it, which was probably a combination of the steroids and being so sick and being anemic and being stressed about everything. And, and, and so Sarah, when, so obviously you're, you're, you've lived with this for the last six years And I know you've obviously had partners like you asked me last time, how do you, you're, you're so similar to me in that you, um, you know, you and I didn't talk about our illnesses for a while. I think probably our, our, our mutual friend brought it up. So how do you kind of discuss your diagnosis with either friends, work or partners? How do you kind of initiate the conversation? Yeah, I guess those are three different categories of people. So at the time when I got diagnosed, I had the most amazing boss who I absolutely adore. And he was really supportive through it all in terms of doctor's appointments. And when I was admitted to the hospital multiple times and even letting like my colleagues at the time coming to like see me um, when I was first, when I got really sick, I didn't want anybody to see me even though they Mm. offered like- Yeah, they were really supportive. And when I did end up in the hospital for quite a bit, they still paid me my full salary because I I couldn't afford to live in London and not get paid. (laughs) So they never put me on sick leave, which was incredible. And so I really appreciated that. So work was really good, but at the same time, I I didn't want to talk about it too much. So from time to time, he'd like pull me aside and be like, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And like, I tell him bits and pieces, but never really too much. I think I broke down a couple of times where I was just so exhausted, but yeah. So work was well, my boss in particular was quite understanding and fought for me in front of the board, which I will forever appreciate. And friends, it can be quite difficult to be honest, because I think I don't talk about even when I start to get sick or I am sick, I don't really talk about it until I'm at the point where I like, can't really, until it gets quite extreme. And then I'll be like, oh yeah, I need to get drugs shipped over. Like my stomach's quite bad. Or like, I'll say like at the moment I'm not eating too much. Like I'm eating quite plain. So I went for dinner last night and I just said, oh yeah, I'm just on a bit of a rice diet at the moment, but I don't really talk about it too much with friends, which can also be detrimental because they will forget that I'm sick. And for me doing high intensity cardio is horrible. I don't know what it is. I think it's like getting the heart rate up and then my body goes into overdrive and it like, it's a stress for whatever reason. Like I can do, I love doing weight training. I love doing reformer Pilates. I can walk whatever, but as soon as my heart rate starts to get up, I immediately, like my stomach will be bad within the next few days. So I try to avoid that. But like, I remember not too long ago, probably at six months or so ago, my friends were like, Oh, we're going to go for just a bit of a hike, but it's gonna be super chill. Like we're not doing anything intense. You got to come. And I was like, you like, promise it isn't anything intense. Like I will not, I'll just stay home if it's yeah. going to be like an intense hike. And they're like, no, no, it'll be fine. It was so bloody intense. And I was sick for like a good like week or so oh, after. No. And I remember my one friend being like, sorry, like I totally forgot. Or like I forget exactly what she said. She's like, oh, I just forget sometimes. And I'm like, yeah, that's fair. Obviously I took the responsibility because I agreed to go on it. And I 
probably should have turned around and just gone back to the car. Yeah. I have to be, I have to be quite careful in terms of the activities that I partake in. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult. And I think you're right. I'm the same. A lot of people forget um, that I have an illness. So they just don't, yeah, they, they literally just forget. Yeah. Oh, completely. Which is fair though. Cause I don't, I don't want people to look at me and say, oh, she's sick. Like I don't want that to be my identity. So I try yeah. really hard not to have it as my identity, but then at times it's like, you need that compassion and you need that consideration because you really can't control it. And it's just yeah. not worth it for me, like to go on an hour hike. And I don't even like nature, especially in Australia. So for me to do that and then be sick after, like that is not worth it to me. Yeah. I haven't had any extreme situations with friends. I did, when I first got diagnosed, had just like difficult difficulty because I was coming to terms with everything. So for me before that, I would go out and I was partying, I was networking and I was like just enjoying every part of London. And then I got quite sick and I didn't want to go out because yeah. I was coming to terms with being diagnosed. I was trying to figure out what was working. The doctors kept promising that these drugs would work and they didn't. And I just kept getting worse. And my flatmate at the time, like, I think she had quite a hard time dealing with it because I had just moved in and she kind of assumed I would be fun and like out for party up for parties and whatever. And I wasn't, I was like suddenly just at home all the time. And I remember her telling me, she said, I was talking about you at a dinner party last night. And one of the girls has it and she just takes a couple of pills and she's completely fine. And I'm like, okay, yeah, <laughs> right. I'm like, I don't know how to respond to that. Like, That's I don't. Right. What I'm, are these I'm magic pills? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so I think it was just really frustrating because it was this expectation that I should get healthy faster, mm. and I didn't. I didn't get healthy for like years after. So I think that was just kind of like a. Not that I felt like I had to live up to some kind of expectation, but like it, it was changing who I was as a person. It was changing my habits and my personality and every aspect of my life. And then for somebody to be kind of disappointed in you not being the person you like, it's already hard enough for me to be like, I'm not living this life. I used to, to somebody else be like, you're not who I wanted you to be. (laughs) Um, You find they said, because I found this before so many times that people, especially like people you don't know very well like try and give you advice (laughs) yeah I hate especially when I'm quite sick when people try to give me advice kind of like they're insinuating that you're not doing enough yeah and it's like I'm sorry I just have a medical team like about 15 people trying to figure out what medication is going to work for me but let Sally over there tell me what I should be doing and eating (laughs) she knows better (laughs) I think it's difficult because probably people think they're being helpful which is fine Mm -hmm. and again it's an approach thing isn't it because some people can be a little bit whatever with it's not I wouldn't say it's advice actually I need to change that word with opinions on Mm. maybe what you should be eating or doing and stuff and that I think is where it's a little bit difficult when again you said you know Sally down the road who you don't really know is is telling you to do x y and z I think it's really good and this is what what we're doing is what I needed when I was diagnosed. I needed real people that had gone through it, that had different experiences to kind of justify that the fact that I was having a different experience was still valid versus the person next to me having different symptoms and being treated. Like it is frustrating when you're looking at somebody with the same disease and they can just take a couple pills a day and they're fine. Whereas I 
have taken everything and nothing's working. And I'm still having, they had brought the surgeon to me multiple times saying you need the operation. Mm. And I multiple times said, no, it, it is really frustrating enough for me that things aren't working. So when you come to me and you try to make it sound like, oh, it's a simple solution, just go on a fast or have some green smoothies or take these vitamins. And I'm like, if it was that simple, like I would be happy and I would be all yeah. for it, but it's, it's not. And I'm already at the point where I'm just so aggravated having yeah. to deal with this disease that having opinions like that don't help, but hearing from other people that have gone through different experiences, I think, and like not making light of the situation, but speaking yeah. about it in simple terms is I think what I needed in terms of partners. Um, I've had a couple, a few over the past six years, actually at the time that I was originally diagnosed, I was seeing somebody I'm trying to remember for how long I can't even remember. It feels like a lifetime ago, but we had met after I had been diagnosed and I was like on the verge of getting quite sick and it was difficult. I think because he never knew me before I got sick. It's just unfortunate. And he was supportive to an extent, but I, again, I was on steroids, oral steroids yeah. and he came to the hospital when I had the blood transfusion and was really supportive then, but also he didn't get to know me yeah. as a healthy, lively person. And he actually That's ended up, really up with me right before I got admitted to the hospital for quite a long time. It was frustrating because it was something that I felt like the, the disease was taking away from me again, because I remember like going over to his house and I just I would always, he had flatmates and like, I'd feel so uncomfortable being at his place um, and being around them because I just, I wasn't engaging. And like, I wasn't, he'd want me to like meet his friends. And I remember going to an engagement party with him and I was just so out of it. And I was so sick and like trying to like make conversation. So it's really yeah. difficult at the start of things, isn't it? Cause you're kind of trying to make a good impression as well. Oh, completely. And I feel like we just didn't get to like, get to that deeper level because my mind was so out of it. And like, I even remember leaving that party and he's like, let's just go get dinner and like do our own thing. And like, I felt so bad because I'm like, I, this isn't me. Like, this is not me whatsoever, but like, I can understand like him wanting to end it because I was a shell of a person. I was just a shell of a human and like going into a new relationship and like having to go to the hospital, um, with me and knowing that I was going for all these treatments and everything, like it was just, it's a lot for somebody to take on and to not really know you completely is yeah, it was a lot. Um, it was a really hard, it was a hard one. We're not in contact. We never spoke after. And um, how have you kind of introduced the illness since? I don't really talk about it. I'm kind of the same as you. So when you, obviously when I go out to eat, I have to explain that I'm celiac and I don't have gluten, um, which is usually fine. It's quite common now. I will, I usually say I have an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. I don't say I have ulcerative colitis unless they say like, what do you have? And then I just, if they don't know what it is, I'll explain that. Um, oh, okay, cool. Much. So yeah, but I don't go into do detail. I'm just way. like, oh, I don't go into the symptoms whatsoever. I will like at times share like the story of what I went through in terms of like yeah. the medical and everything, but it has to be like further down the line that I'll even go into the detail because it, it's a lot to talk about. Yeah. It still gets to me when I talk about it now. So I don't enjoy really going no, into the, on the first like initial, but yeah, I was seeing someone last year when I had a flare and he was quite good about it. He's just that kind of person like very yeah. um I don't know how to describe it but like just really 
nurturing. And like, I got to the point that I wasn't eating much of anything. So he'd cook me like little bowls of rice with avocado. Um, and he was slightly older. So I think he had, um, Oh yeah. I just remembered who it was. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't slightly older. He had raised three kids anyways. So Sarah, I'm conscious that we've had really, really different experiences with our diagnoses and kind of treatments and stuff. So what would you say was your most challenging part of your illness so far? There's actually two things that came to mind. I went home to just chill out for a bit and see my family and get the steroids out of my system so that I could go back to London and go right on to the um, type of chemo that they were putting me on. And I think it was just, my mom dropped me off at the airport. She doesn't usually come in. But this point, I like had her come into the airport with me and take me to the gate. And I mm. broke down. Like I was just bawling my eyes out because I mean, I, I was relatively young. I was what, like 26 at the time. And I was going back to London where I didn't have any family. I had friends, but I'd only been living there like a year and a bit. So knowing that I was going back to London to go on quite heavy medication and be alone in a city. It was hard. And obviously my family didn't want me to go. They wanted me to stay and get treated in Canada, but I was just so stubborn (laughs) and I didn't want to give into the disease. So I knew I wanted to go back to my sponsorship and the company I was working for and my lifestyle that I had in London and I wanted to have in London. So I just remember like crying (laughs) and even the security guard at the gate was like, um, are you okay? Uh, cause it was just so hard to walk away from all of the support I had in the world to do this on my own and go back to being sick in a big city by myself. So that was definitely one of them. Yeah. And then I think the other one was, I didn't realize it because when you're, when you're quite sick, you just kind of go through the motions. You kind of just, you push through and you don't really realize it until after. And it kind of hit me after I had gone back to the hospital for a checkup or something. I I don't even remember. I had, I literally (laughs) was at the hospital. I swear to God every week. Um, for some kind of appointment or something. And I remember leaving the hospital what the one day and I walked down the street and I was like, I'm walking. Cause when I was really sick, like I just couldn't walking from the taxi, like inside anywhere, like that was enough for me. I could not move. Um, it was just, it was too, I had no energy. Um, and I was so anemic. My head would start spinning. I'd feel like I was going to pass out if I took more than like 20 steps at a time. And I walked like a block and I was like, oh my God, I just, it was such a freeing thing and also such a depressing thing at the same time, because it was like, I went so long without being able to walk a single block. Yeah, it's quite heavy, but I think those are probably two major things for me. Amazing. Okay. So Sarah, I'm going to ask you a different question compared to the question you asked me to end up my interview last week. So rather than what advice would you give to others, I'm going to challenge you a bit as your friend. Oh God. So how do you think you have gotten to where you are now in your journey? Because before you answer, 
you have had this diagnosis in London, all your family and friends miles away, only six miles. years ago, <laughs> thousands. What did I say? Thousands. Only miles, <laughs> only, only miles away, <laughs> only down the road, only the other side of the world, <laughs> <laughs> thousands of miles away. And I know you've traveled to various places pre COVID obviously, and then you've moved to Australia and you've continued to work super, super hard. How have you personally done that in that that's a very six years is a short amount of time for a diagnosis to take place, to live in London, to move to Australia. What would you say you have done or invested in to get to where you are now? I'm incredibly stubborn. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's true. I lived in London. I continued in my career. Um, I moved up in the company. I, oh God, I think since being diagnosed alone, I've traveled to about 13 countries and yeah, as Cass said, I've been in Australia for a couple of years now as well. So I guess when you say it like that, I've done a lot. Um, I think it was my family my mom in particular, she, she was with it with me, sorry, through a lot. So definitely her support. And I think I just held on to the life that I wanted. And even when I was on immune suppressants and quite sick, I would still travel. I would get on the plane. I would sanitize everything. I would sanitize Mm -hmm. my hands, wear a mask. I was quite careful. I would still get sick almost every time I flew and yeah, I'd get bronchitis and pneumonia and everything that they warn you about when you're traveling and so on. But I just kept doing it and I kept working. I would go to the hospital, get my infusions and be taking conference calls. I think I just kept pushing through, refusing to let go of the lifestyle that I wanted and the lifestyle that makes me happy. And there's definitely, there's been so many compromises along the way. And it's taken me a long time to accept the fact that I feel like I'm further behind in life because I did have quite a while out and not being able to focus on my career and just trying to survive for quite a while. I feel like a good like year and a half, two years, it was just survival mode of like, wake up, get through the day. Um, So I feel like And I have felt like that has put me behind in life. So I do feel like I'm trying to play a bit of catch up still. However, I think that just makes me work so much harder. And I refuse to really give in at any point. So just being stubborn, really, is what it comes down to. And it's not easy. And I would say determined. Okay, we'll say determined. Thanks so much, Sarah, for sharing everything you have today. It's been incredible listening to your particular journey. Really hope everyone's enjoyed it too. And we can't wait to have you back for episode four. If you're not already following us on Instagram, make sure you do at pop to the loo podcast. And you can, of course, like and subscribe and rate us on Apple, Spotify, Google podcasts. And we can't wait till the next episode. Love you loads, guys.